Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Hope you're having a wonderful day so far. I really wish you could see me right now. I quite honestly could not fathom sitting at a desk today. Don't know what it was, but I just was not in the mood. So I'm currently laying in my bed. I have a blanket wrapped around me and, you know, hopefully the audio quality is good today because I'm holding the mic in a slightly different way, which of course you don't care about at all. But here we are. So today is going to be a really interesting conversation. I feel as though from the minute that I start recording this until the end, we're going to go on to this whole journey together. I already feel energetically like something is happening. And interestingly enough, I think this this episode is going to be an experience, hopefully one that you can feel as much as I can. And the reason being is every time I talk about the co- concept and the topic of shame and shadow, I feel this huge release and this huge sense of freedom in being able to be open about things that I'm ashamed of, things that have, you know, been perhaps sources of guilt or, you know, negative feelings, for example, in the past or even in my life now. And I'm really, to be honest, I know this sounds weird, but I'm looking forward to sharing that with you because I think there really is a huge amount of power in being able to reclaim the parts of ourselves that we may have rejected, suppressed, avoided, tried to control. And, you know, I think a lot of these will resonate with you. Of course, at the end of the episode, like I always do, I'm going to be sharing some of the things that I have struggled with in the past as well as present. I've mentioned this before, but I really do find it healing and powerful because whenever I share something that is bothering me that I'm struggling with or that I feel shame about quite often I find that I get folks who are feeling the same way and I really do believe that there is a huge amount of liberation and power and connection that comes from sharing our stories and being able to see that we're not alone and also as we share things that may be bothering us or that we may feel shame or shadow or darkness towards, as we see other folks talking about and openly discussing these very same things, we can actually begin to understand how to transmute them into forms of self-compassion and self-acceptance and also being able to extend that to others. So I really do think that this is a very healing practice and one that I really believe has a lot of power and the ability to really transform and also to help us grow more into full integrated beings. I know this term integrated gets tossed around a lot. So what I mean by that is that we're not suppressing or, you know, actively rejecting certain parts of ourselves or others. We're we're allowing ourselves to be whole and You know, we can think of this, a a common example that I often use is if we think of the emotional spectrum, we're integrating all of it and we are allowing ourselves to feel and express the whole emotional spectrum and not just the part of the spectrum that is, you know, societally expected. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Of course, when I talk about things like shadow and I talk about things like shame, it's not an excuse for being complacent about characteristics or ways of being that are harmful towards others. So I'm not suggesting that by integrating your anger or your rage that you're going to go out and start having, you know, outbursts at other folks and being toxic towards them. I'm 
I'm suggesting that there's a healthier way of navigating these emotions and integrating them and in turn taking some of the charge off some of these kind of more taboo things and taboo topics. So I always like to provide a little preview before we get into it of what this episode is going to entail. So first off, we'll talk a little bit about why it's important to explore your shadow, explore your shame, and start to integrate those things. We'll talk a little bit about what actually is the shadow self. Again, I know this is a term that gets thrown around a lot, and we'll talk about how it comes to be from there. I want to provide a couple of indicators and markers that we can look for in terms of spotting our shadow and spotting our shame and being able to notice how it manifests and how it impacts our life so that we can start to integrate and work through it. And then obviously talking about some of the ways in which we can move through and release some of the power that it holds over us and start to integrate that. I'll then be sharing some of the things that I would deem as parts of my shadow self, things that over the years I've felt ashamed about and still am working through and integrating, as well as some of the things that I asked you about on Instagram and you responded to me back with. And To the best of my abilities, I'll try to share a little bit of insight to each one of these things and where I think that each of them are rooted from. So let's start off with why this work is important. Shadow work, working through your shame, whatever you want to call it, you know, airing out your shame. Essentially, we're talking about this liberating experience of releasing the stories and the narratives and the parts of ourselves that hold power over us in the sense that we're actively you know putting effort into suppressing them and rejecting them and the reality is is that we are all imperfect we are all you know we have such a broad spectrum of what's possible for us and all of our emotions that we can feel and the ways in which we can express and show up in the world and i think through the ways that we've been socialized and through the ways that we are taught to show up in the world we learn that only a portion of this broad spectrum of what's possible for us is actually acceptable and is okay to express and is okay to you know be open about Um, and there are so many different ways in which this shows up I once again use the example quite often of anger just because I think we can all collectively understand that this is across the board seen as generally negative and we're taught to control suppress And at the same time, we're not taught how to regulate. We're not taught how to work through it. We're taught this is a bad emotion. You need to not feel it. And anytime I've felt that for myself, whether it's anger, sadness, grief, depression, anxiety, any attempt at controlling or suppressing or rejecting that emotion has over time created a bigger and bigger buildup of it. So I'm going to get into this a little bit more, but I I definitely had a lot of anger and a lot of rage as I was growing up. And only within the last couple of years did I start to really accept, see, understand why that was work through some of those reasons so I could release that but also be able to find ways and I'm not suggesting that I'm perfect but you know it's a work in progress to be able to see the anger to acknowledge it to understand where it's coming from and then to be able to be able to find ways to release that so essentially my first point is that when it comes to integrating our shadow accepting the parts of ourselves that we may have been ashamed of this has a very freeing and liberating effect and if we no longer dedicate so much of our resources to controlling and suppressing very real and human parts of ourselves we can use that energy to focus on things that really matter to us or to be able to find real ways to work through it because for example if we never accept that anger is a very real and acceptable emotion and we continue to express it obviously we're not going to find ways to work through it and to regulate it because we're denying ourselves that we even have that experience and I think the same goes for things like grief if we never acknowledge that that's what we're feeling then we're 
not really allowing ourselves to find ways to work through it. And, you know, that just kind of makes these feelings and these emotional states fester. And, you know, over time, if you've ever experienced this before, it can it can rear its head in different ways. You know, it's not like it goes away if we simply reject that we're experiencing it. So the other element is it takes some of the negative charge and physical manifestation of shame away. I'm going to talk a little bit about this, but shame has a physical manifestation. It comes up in the way that we feel and in our nervous system because ultimately it's a protective mechanism. We're trying to protect ourselves from the experience of social rejection or exclusion and that can manifest not only on a mental level but also on a physical level and that can create feelings of anxiety and stress and tension and we're basically always on this high alert of needing to control the way that we are and make sure that no one sees that those parts of ourselves that we don't want to be seen so that we can continue to maintain our status of acceptance and so on. So being able to actually accept within yourself first and then also with others, it kind of takes some of that negative charge off. And I'll explain a little bit more what that means as we continue to move through this episode. I kind of touched on this earlier, but it ultimately allows us to deeply engage, see ourselves, be compassionate, accepting towards ourselves and our humanity rather than, you know, feeling like there's something wrong with us because we're having an experience of sadness or of anxiety. We can look at ourselves and try to understand where this is coming from. The the fear-based narrative perhaps or perhaps it's a very reasonable response to what's going on in our environment we don't talk about this a lot but when it comes to things like anxiety a lot of the time there's a lot of shame that comes along with that experience when in reality when we actually look at perhaps our life situation it's a very reasonable response and this is a realization I had when I was in a very high stress job of course on one hand there are things that we can do to be able to regulate our emotional experience and to be able to not be thrown around by the waves of life so to speak but at the same time we can look at our environment and identify if there are very real stressors that are creating this experience for us and I think in doing so and in accepting that sometimes there's not it's not anything that's wrong with us it's the environment and that allows us to actually hold other people accountable for example if they're perpetuating stressful experiences for us or if we need to make an adjustment or make a change so I think by doing this work and no longer suppressing real feelings that we're having and allowing ourselves to look deeply at every part of ourselves we can also look to certain areas that are perpetuating these experiences and allow ourselves to make a decision whether those are the right places to be and then lastly doing this work the shadow work looking at our shame it helps us to identify the narratives that are running our lives and then reclaim that control so if for example we're creating versions of ourselves that we believe will help us to avoid the experience of rejection or abandonment or shame guilt etc really those very things are running our lives because we're trying to avoid them when we accept, integrate that these are parts of our lives and that it doesn't mean that we are any less worthy and we are any less lovable or acceptable, we no longer are controlled by the avoidance of these experiences. And coming back to that liberation and that release, we are able to much more deeply engage with our lives and still accept it's not about bypassing that there are going to be painful experiences. It's accepting that that whole spectrum and being able to still accept ourselves throughout okay so let's talk a little bit more about shame what exactly is shame what is the shadow self and how does it come to be so the shadow self which was coined by carl jung 
is essentially anything that when brought into our conscious awareness, we don't want to see, we don't want to identify with. So the parts of ourselves that at some point we were conditioned to believe that they're not okay, they're not acceptable, we need to suppress them, and we essentially dedicate a lot of resources over the course of our lives to ignore, reject, and not acknowledge them. And so what we do when we go through this process, and I think every single one of us can relate to this, even if we do it in small ways, is we're essentially adapting ourselves. We're forming what I mentioned before, this version of ourselves that we believe we need to become in order to be accepted. The reality is, is this isn't a process of shaming ourselves for doing so because we are adaptive beings and we're adapting in the ways that we know how to in order to survive and thrive and it's not to say that that's a bad thing it's simply to recognize the ways in which we have adapted and how in some ways that might not longer be serving us adaptation in and of itself i'm not suggesting is a bad thing but when we start to develop attachments and narratives that are associated with these adaptive behaviors and then we don't allow ourselves to see anything outside of those stories and attachments that's when those narratives start to become controlling of our lives and we don't allow ourselves to see beyond them and in terms of how this process happens you know why we actually start to push things into the shadow When we witness someone else be criticized for certain characteristics, we can identify that if we were to display those characteristics, we would not be safe because we would be opening ourselves up to uh, criticism. And in addition to that, we might have witnessed someone engaged in self-criticism. So let's say growing up, a caretaker or a teacher was always talking very harshly about their body or you know, a certain characteristic. That's another way that we can, you know, read our environment and say, that's dangerous. I need to, you know, suppress that within myself. I can't express what this person is criticizing themselves for because I don't want to be subject to whatever the consequence may be as well. And then, of course, if we ourselves were criticized for certain things or made fun of or what have you. So if we were bullied for something or, you know, our parents expected us to be a certain way and criticized us if we weren't, those are all ways in which we start to adapt, shift those things into the darkness and actively dedicate our resources as we navigate life, even if it's not conscious, to never allowing those things to be seen. And of course, this goes hand in hand with shame because shame can often be used as a mechanism to control certain behaviors and maximize some behaviors and minimize others. And I want to tell a really silly story from childhood just to exemplify how small moments of shame can really stick with us. And it doesn't have to be like this big traumatic experience. It can be one very memorable experience of being shamed in a way that made you feel embarrassed or as though you're being judged. And this this sense of unsafety that we feel that can make us never want to have that experience again. So then we adapt in order to not feel that. But there's this, at least for me, this deep sense of being aware of that characteristic still existing somewhere within us. And the 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 density and the heaviness of knowing that that's there. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but for now, I want to share this story. All right, so when I was in grade school, we had this thing called the snack bowl. Essentially, it was a bowl of snacks that was passed around the classroom every morning, and you got to choose a snack. And of course, there were really disgusting ones that no one wanted to eat, but then there were the really nice ones that everyone was competing for some of which were a stick of cheese, a bag of pretzels being the golden winner, and, you know, the other ones were just all kind of gross. So anyways, everyone was competing for 
the bag of pretzels. If you got handed the snack bowl first, it was jackpot because you know you're going right for the bag of pretzels. The other options were like some apple slices that were probably borderline on black and a yogurt tube that was past its expiry date. So you can understand, you know, we're all going for the pretzels. My grade three teacher decided that the best way to avoid any sort of, you know, disagreements was to take the bowl of pretzels and lock it in the bottom, the sorry, it's just so funny to think about, the bottom drawer of her desk. So I have this little archetype within me. I always have, and I always will, of rebel. A little rebellious, you know, not doing what I'm supposed to do. A little bit of a sneaky side to me. A little bit of like almost borderline on, I don't want to say evil, but like trickster is what I believe it's often referred to. Um, And so one afternoon, I was like, no, this isn't fair. I want my pretzels. So our teacher was out. I went to the bottom drawer of her cabinet and I took a bag and I took them for myself. And of course, you know, I'm eating them. And one of my friends goes, where did you get those? And I said, oh, I brought them for lunch. And all everyone starts ganging up on me and they don't believe me. They think I stole them. Obviously, I'm not a very good liar. So they're on to me. Then, sorry, this story is dragging on. I promise we're close to the end. So then, you know, recess happens. We go out for recess, whatever. I come back into the class and everyone's staring at me. And our custodian, for whatever reason, I don't know why she was the one doing the discipline here, but she's standing at the front of the desk and she makes me come stand at the front of the class with her. And she said, I want you all to look at Siobhan. She's an example of a bad student and she is an example of disobedience. And oh my God, my classmates were just staring at me with such disgust. Like as though stealing a bowl of pretzels or a bag of pretzels, I had murdered someone. And so this instilled in me at a very young age, the fear of being caught as essentially like a trickster or someone who is misbehaved. It's a deep-seated fear of disobeying the rules and being caught for doing so. This is translated into my adult life where I am literally, and some of you may relate to this, I'm petrified to break even the smallest rule. I don't even like crossing the road when there's no cars coming if the traffic lights haven't turned. I don't like, you know, doing things that are traditionally frowned upon. I have this inner deep-seated fear of authority and of being caught, if you will. And of course, there are probably several other experiences that created that fear within me, but that's just an example. And so I really started to notice this when I was dating when I started dating my current partner because he's very carefree, go with the flow, you know, it's not that he doesn't care for rules, but he's le- he's much less rigid about, let's say, like being caught doing the wrong thing. And I started to see his carefree attitude towards certain experience, not to the point of, you know, breaking rules or breaking the law, but just this carefree attitude. And I recognized how much this fear within me of being caught for breaking the rules or being bad or being disobedient translated to even small experiences of, you know, booking time off work because I didn't want to get in trouble and so many different ways in which this was manifesting. So like I said, that's just a a really small example of, you know, let me just rewind for a second. If I were to be a teacher to grade three kids, how old are you when you're in grade three? Like eight? The thought of doing that to a kid is appalling, but that is besides the point, just besides the point. Ultimately, what we're talking about when it comes to the shadow self, shame, and how it comes to be are what are the things I'm scared to see about myself 
and my way of being. If an answer doesn't immediately come to mind, then I'm going to provide a couple of ways that you can spot these characteristics that you're scared to look at and that you don't want to bring into consciousness. These are characteristics that when you think about them, whether it's in yourself or someone else, you feel just the best way I can describe it is gross and icky and heavy and avoidant. They make you feel like you just don't want to, you don't want to see them and you don't want to witness that within yourself or anyone else. You can feel friction and tension and anxiety when you think about these things, again, within yourself or someone else, because other people can be a really good way to reflect this back to you, which brings me to one of the best ways to spot this and to identify perhaps what these characteristics are within yourself is feeling judgment, jealousy, Plushcare.com/slash/weightloss. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Just general feeling like you don't like something in someone else, and. Having a process of asking yourself whether that's something that you don't like about yourself. I should also mention that the shadow self isn't always quote unquote negative characteristics. It can also be things that we were taught were arrogant because we don't want to boast about them. So things that are actually talents of ours or skill sets And I'll talk about that when we get into my shadow self. So as much as judgment and feeling like you dislike a certain part of someone is a good indicator, like I mentioned, jealousy is also one because it's telling you something that perhaps you want to be able to experience, but on some level you feel that that's not possible for you. Again, coming back to those narratives and those attachments that you have. So looking towards other people, noticing any time, and you can even document this, you feel triggered and why you feel triggered and what is underlying those characteristics. Do you feel like that person is controlling? Do you feel like they're lazy? And then were there ever any times that you were told that you were those things, that you felt like those things were wrong? Another way in which we can spot our shadow is when we... A, project, or B, try to transfer certain feelings that we're having. So projection is a big one. It's when we see someone, you know, having a certain experience and we automatically make assumptions based on our own personal experience. That can actually tell us a lot about the narratives that are once again controlling the way that we express ourselves so let's say for example you see someone who is showing up online fully expressing themselves and 
doing whatever they want to do, having a good time. And your immediate reaction is, oh, well, that person seems really irresponsible. They seem like they don't have any real responsibilities. It must be nice to be them, so on and so forth. That is a projection of something within yourself that you perhaps feel some sort of shame around. And then transferring is a really interesting one. It's it's kind of similar, but it's when we try to take our own internal experience of shame and try to transfer that onto someone else under the belief that that will make us feel in some way better. So once again, we can witness ourselves doing this and we can see specifically what are the types of experiences that we're transferring onto other folks and what is the underlying emotion or characteristic that we are not wanting to have on ourselves so we're putting it on to others. Another really effective way of spotting our shadow and becoming aware of our shame-based narratives are looking at the patterns in our lives. So specifically patterns of control or avoidance because the way that we live and the patterns that we're following can be, once again, that embodiment of the unconscious beliefs that are running and narrating our lives. So if we find something coming up over and over again, a pattern, if you will, of a certain type of person always showing up in our lives and the way that we react and respond to that type of person or certain situations that we try to control or that we try to avoid and just how those can tell us about once again, those shame-based or fear-based narratives about ourselves in the world. And then lastly, we can think about the physical manifestation of shame and how that shows up on a physical level in our bodies. When it comes to our body's nervous system and the brain's crisis response system, our nervous system can be actually activated by shame. And our brain can actually interpret that when we're experiencing shame, we're in a position of being threatened. And oftentimes this is due to the fact that we feel threatened on a relational level in the sense that we feel that our social status or the degree to which we are included in the group is going to be threatened if we express a certain part of ourselves, like I mentioned before. So essentially we can tell when we physically react and respond to certain things, whether that's within someone else or someone making a suggestion about us, we can tell that that reaction is perhaps a trigger as a result of shame because physically we feel unsafe. Our system is trying to protect us. And on some level, we've deemed that the expression of a certain characteristic is unsafe to do because it's going to break specific relational bonds that we have. So now that we've established why this work is important as well as how the shadow self can manifest and how it can hold power over the direction of our lives, I want to talk a little bit more about a path forward and how we can heal from the experiences of shame and how we can move through it. So the first and perhaps most important thing that I've found and that I think is exemplified in the way that we've begun to open up and be vulnerable online, as well as some of the literature and examples that I'm going to share, is allowing your shadow to be seen. And the way that you can do this is to first look at it yourself and then being able to open that up to others. Of course, there are so many ways to do this. There are different workshops online for shadow work, as well as being able to work with a therapist. Some therapists are specifically trained in this realm, but others will just help you to work through it in a more traditional sense. But even being able to also integrate this in a self-directed way, you know, examining some of those areas of that I mentioned about how we can spot our shadow and then really engaging in a contemplative self-reflection, you know, practice and being able to look deeply at yourself and get familiar with yourself and oftentimes when we have had the experience in our early life which many of us had of being shamed and thereafter pressing 
or pushing things into our shadow, we tend to dissociate from those things. And when we put a lot into our shadow, we can feel extremely disconnected and dissociated from ourselves because at the end of the day, some of these things that we push into the shadow are very big parts of who we are. And so as we deny them and we reject them, we become more and more disconnected from ourselves. So this process of moving through and healing that is to look deeply at yourself, even if it's painful. And again, the support and the help of a therapist or a trained professional can be really helpful in being able to um, facilitate this process. But I believe that by first looking at it yourself, you can then start to open up to others and be vulnerable with others. And that can also provide a lot of healing because when that experience of sharing is met with compassion and openness and free of judgment, that is also such a healing experience. So when it comes to our shadow selves, obviously one of the first things that comes to mind is the word darkness. So oftentimes the the concept of darkness can be really scary because we don't know what lies within it. So if you think about fumbling around a dark room, oftentimes that can be a scary experience because we don't know what we're going to bump into. We don't know if there's something you know, lurking in the shadows. And oftentimes we find that when we turn on the light, we acquaint ourselves with our surroundings, it's often not as bad as we thought. And so shadow work, I see it as a similar experience of being able to acquaint yourself with what's really going on within your psyche, looking deeply at it, and then being able to easily navigate it. When the light is on, you can much more easily find your way around. You know, you're no longer trying to like avoid certain barriers, things that you think you're going to bump into. And so you know, you have a much more easy and pleasant experience. It doesn't mean that you're not going to turn on the light and see something that you don't like. It just means that once you actually turn that light on, it's taking away some of the charge. So like I said, allowing your shadow to be seen. And how we can do this is, as I mentioned before, looking at some of those indicators and then doing a little bit of deeper exploration. So Again, looking at those parts of yourself that you may have been previously unwilling to, I find also takes off some of that negative charge and that energetic buildup. And there is a sense of relief in seeing that maybe it wasn't as bad as you thought. So going back to my example, not understanding why I've always had this kind of deep fear of being seen as a rule breaker or someone who's disobedient, being able to actually self-examine and explore some of the stories and experiences, it's, you know, and I'm not suggesting this is the case with every one of my shadows, but, you know, when we talk about the pretzel example, it's kind of silly. Like, I can look at it and it takes some of that charge off and I can have compassion for that child within me that felt so embarrassed and so ashamed and I can understand why she wouldn't want to feel that again. But once again, I can apply the wisdom that I have as a more evolved being and accepting and recognizing that these are natural parts of our experience and we don't need to devote so much of our resources to avoiding them. So when you get to the point where you have on some level even looked at these parts of yourself, but then eventually getting to the point where you're accepting them, you don't have to like them, but you accept that they're there. They don't hold as much power over you in that other people can't necessarily weaponize them against you because there's simply no, no, they just don't hold the same charge. So if someone suggests, for example, that you are a certain way and you've denied that you're that way, you have oftentimes a triggered and very charged reaction. But once you've actually begun to look at it, someone else suggesting to you that you're that way doesn't really hold that same charge. You can simply let it kind of fall fall off your back. One of the communities that exposed me to shadow work was the TBM to be magnetic community. And I really like the way that Lacey Phillips, um, who is the founder of TBM, she refers to this process as outing your shadow. And it's basically like looking at and then proclaiming in some way these aspects of yourself and being able to name them and the relief that you feel when you do that. Another person that I really look up to who touches on this is Brené Brown and she says shame loves secrecy. 
The most dangerous thing to do after a shaming experience is to hide or bury our story. When we bury our story, the shame metastasizes, or in other words, it grows. And this really just exemplifies what we've been talking about this whole time and how when we bury and deny these experiences, we in turn are suppressing them, which can eventually lead them to manifest in different ways and grow and become more powerful forces in our lives than they really need to be. So ultimately, the experience of shame and putting things into our shadow, in order to heal that and in order to integrate that, we need to be able to feel a deep sense of safety. And I think that that really starts within ourselves and saying that I'm not going to perpetuate this experience of shame within myself any longer. I'm going to allow myself to look deeply at every part of myself with a caring and open and accepting attitude. And I'm no longer going to perpetuate this experience of feeling unsafe in who I am. Okay, now we've come to the part of the episode that I'm most excited for but also kind of nervous about, which is all of the things that I have at some point or perhaps still feel shame about and that I believe I have put into my shadow and are the foundational characteristics of my shadow self. Now, I mentioned this briefly at the beginning. I want to mention it again. None of these things am I suggesting are things to be complacent or dismissive of. So I'm not suggesting that, for example, I'm going to talk about rage. I am not suggesting that is it is within my rights to negatively express this towards other people, but we're simply talking about looking at these things first and then being able to find how we can integrate them in a way that does not implicate and affect others in a negative way. All right, we're going to start off with more broad ideas that I feel shame about, and then we're going to get a little bit more specific. Like I said, when I think of some of these things, I feel just gross and icky and heavy, and they're just things that I don't want to think about or I don't want to look at. And physically where I feel that quite often is in my chest. I feel a tightness. I feel, you know, held down and I and that's how it physically manifests for me so I think everyone is different the other place I really often feel it is in my belly I feel oftentimes almost kind of sick and sometimes my heartbeat will will start to rise when I think about these again coming back to that nervous system reaction when I consider these parts of myself so the first one is more generally Sometimes I just get so sick of myself and everything that I stand for. It's almost like the cringy factor. I sometimes look back at things that I've created or whatever and I feel like I want to cringe. I don't know why, but I think part of it is perhaps not a specific experience of shame, but more so a pattern of not liking myself. And again, this is something that I'm working on. It's not like I don't presently like myself, but my pattern is to look at ways that I've shown up and look at my past with a cringy attitude. And so that is really something that it feels heavy and, you know, I don't want to carry that forward with me. I want to be able to celebrate myself and what I've created and be proud of myself and in the events that I've made mistakes to be able to integrate those and to learn the lesson that needs to be learned, but not to continue to perpetuate the experience of shame about those things. The other thing I quite often feel shame about is being someone that doesn't have one particular purpose or calling. I believe that this comes from the experience of seeing all the messaging about how important it is to have a calling and have a certain passion and if you don't you won't be successful and also like a fear-based narrative surrounding being things like inconsistent or disorganized or you know not level-headed or you know all these all these labels that get added to people who are more I guess I don't want to say creative but um, spontaneous I guess And, you know, that's something that I've always been someone who has never really felt like I had one specific calling or passion or thing that I wanted to do. I've always been more 
responsive to life events and then kind of made my decision through that but there's this internalized message of that being the wrong way to be so I definitely feel some shame about that and I think that's also deeply connected with perfectionism okay this is a big theme for me but I have a lot of shame and shadow and darkness and heaviness surrounding money this is one of the biggest themes of my life and I will definitely at some point do a whole episode on this but I have a really hard time with my relationship with money for so many different reasons from religious conditioning I grew up in a catholic school and going to church and I think I internalized the martyr kind of um mentality of it's almost wrong to be someone that has money and also on the other side all of the messaging surrounding being frivolous and being careless and needing to be super careful and all of these messages once again that make my relationship with money very hard and how I find that showing up going back to the ways in which we can you know spot the shadow is a deep need for control and needing to be highly 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 frugal even when I'm you know making money that I feel comfortable with and feeling very insecure and once again and then also falling into avoidant patterns so that's kind of how I know that that's a big one for me the other thing that I often struggle with is celebrating myself and as someone who I own my own business and I'm an entrepreneur and I feel very strongly about the types of things that I put out there into the world but at the same time I often struggle with the idea of self-promotion and what it means to celebrate yourself and to be open about your success Um, I think this comes back to this is one of those things where it's almost fear of and you put something kind of positive into your shadow where the fear of success is less talked about but I often think that the celebration of yourself comes across as selfish or self-indulgent and as a result it's much more publicly acceptable to self-criticize and to be self-deprecating um so that really translates to me you know even on social media not wanting to be too annoying not wanting to post too much not wanting to share too much of my story not wanting to come across as um too marketing-y if that makes sense um and although i think Part of my intention with everything that I do is to always call people in in the way that if they really connect with me and resonate with me, then that's great. But if not, I don't want to be, you know, predatory. That's important to me. But there is also a line of, you know, blockage that I feel in being able to just say, hey, here's what I'm doing. I would love for you to check it out. And also just being able to celebrate my wins and being able to focus on the positive is something that I often find um, I feel shame about or I will feel embarrassed or I'll wonder what people would think if I were to do that. Okay, another one is this really, 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 really bothered me. I can't say really enough for a long time and it created, again, going back to that physical experience, like dread, dread and guilt and so much yeah just pressure in my body was I've explained before that in my early life I experienced bullying and um, was excluded a lot and as a result I went on to perpetuate that experience to my peers and you know I'm not going to use the experience of having been bullied to excuse but I believe that it was a cycle that I wanted to perpetuate of I'm excluded now I want to make other people excluded and I didn't realize it until years later of wow I realized how much that impacted my life to have that experience and I feel so guilty about the fact that I perpetuated that to other people and so that really really bothered me for a long time and you know on one hand I think it's important that I self-reflected and learned from that experience and took the necessary action in the form of making amends with those people and saying my apologies and also being able to understand the importance of kindness and inclusion and accepting others and noticing when I'm becoming you know too judgmental or harsh to other people so I think you know, it's important to be reflective in that way. But 
the guilt and the sense of, you know, not ever being able to grow from that, I think that was not necessarily healthy and not productive and really weighed on me. So, you know, it's hard for me to say that and it's hard for me to admit that I did perpetuate that experience that I had of being excluded to other peers. But I think once I started to actually look at it and accept it, not only was I able to you know, have compassion for that version of myself, but I was able to actually reach out to the people that affected I affected as opposed to denying that that was ever something that I did. And so, yeah, I think once again, it's something that it's not an excuse to be complacent and be like, well, you know, that's part of my shadow, but it's just who I am. And I, you know, I do think that there are things that we can make amends with and we can allow them to activate us to make that change in our life, but at the same time, not to carry forward this experience of intense guilt and um, shame. Along a similar vein is being having anger and my rage. I mentioned before that this was something I really struggled with growing up. I felt a lot of pent-up anger and rage and I never knew how to express it. And so later in life when I would feel these experiences again, I really had no healthy outlet and it would just become this big, dark heaviness. And until I actually started to accept, you know, perhaps why I felt that way and have compassion for myself... I found that it was something that just weighed so heavily on me. So rage is a big one. Also being lazy. I think that's something that's weaponized against us when we're young about like, you do not want to be lazy. That is the ultimate bad thing. So what that translated to for me was not even really being able to rest without feeling a sense of shame. And even once again, that nervous system experience of unsafety because you have so many narratives and attachments and stories to what it means to be lazy. Another big one for me is education and imposter syndrome. So being in this space that I'm in when it comes to talking about mental health and talking about things like mindfulness and spirituality, I'm always going to have someone to compare myself that is more educated than I am. So when it comes to my education, I've spoken before about how it has nothing to do with my formal education, I should say. It has nothing to do with psychology. Everything that I've learned about mindfulness and um, psychology and you know, anxiety and mental health has been through personal experience or, you know, mindfulness trainings, meditation trainings, yoga trainings, etc. and has not necessarily been a formal experience in the form of education. And I found myself really feeling like I needed to defend. That's another example of when we feel defensive, that can be a good indicator of shadow. And An important lesson for me to make was not to make a decision based on wanting to remedy myself of the shame that came along with imposter syndrome. So what I mean by that is, on one hand, there's a genuine need for having integrity for what I'm sharing. I'm not going to go around sharing things that are related to mental health without you know, doing my due diligence, doing my research. But on the other hand, if, for example... I made the decision to, let's say, go back to school for a specific degree related to psychology or something similar. Where I'm at right now would be that that decision would have been rooted in a feeling of insecurity because I'm comparing myself to folks who are more educated in this specific domain and it would go for any domain you know if I was working still working as a consultant with a business degree I would always be comparing myself to folks who have MBAs or who have a project management certification etc so it's not just exclusive to the current domain I'm in but I always have to remind myself that if a decision is solely rooted in remedying this experience of shame it's probably not coming from a place of authenticity. Okay, and then the last one that I'll say is I have this weird insecurity about copying people. I don't know where that came from. I think when I was younger, it was a big thing. Like, you know, as a as a little girl, it's like, stop copying me. And like the the bullies or the people at my school who'd be more, you know, I guess the cool group, it was all about copying. And I think that instilled in me that it's wrong to look to other people and even be even remotely inspired by them and then kind of move into your own expression with some part of that 
inspiration connected. So that led me to a point of like hyper independence and not needing to derive any inspiration from other people, needing to be completely original in everything, which eventually becomes not only quite isolating, but exhausting. I think that we are all here collectively creating together and it's not an excuse to like literally carbon copy or plagiarize, but it's okay to number one, be supported by other people and number two to be inspired by other people okay that covers everything that i wanted to share i'm sure there are a lot more but wow looking through that list i'm like there are a lot of things and there are a lot of things that i didn't include because we're getting closer to 60 minutes but um yeah obviously i have a lot of shame that i'm working through and a lot of shadow but i really will say that sharing this publicly not only here but i'm pretty open about these things everywhere it does have a transformational capability and it feels good and it can be scary but I know that the experience of other folks listening to this and um, appreciating it and accepting it and also being able to relate on some level is also very healing. So with that said, I asked the question on Instagram of, you know, what do you feel shame about? And I want to share a couple of your responses. I won't share too many because I want to respect your time but let's start with past mistakes this was something that someone shared and this is something that I would do often it kind of goes along with looking at your past and just cringing but um, that feeling of guilt maybe we said things we did things that we regret and it's under the illusion that we can always be perfect thinking that we're never going to look back and look at our mistakes and feel a certain way about them. So practicing self-compassion and forgiveness and no longer allowing those stories to narrate our lives and being able to also forgive others can really, really bring back some of that power to us. Another person, much like me, said their own anger, or they said my own anger. So again, I would say especially as women, we're taught to contain it and to not have that experience and so that can definitely be something that we feel a lot of shame when we consider that but I've talked before about how it's not something to be scared of it's not something to be ashamed of we just need to be able to find ways to healthily express and regulate and channel and transmute those emotions and then the last one which I can 100% relate to would be my body yes that was one that I had written down but I didn't get to because I don't want to go too deep into everything um my career they said and also being very sensitive and having mental health issues of course i mean i think we can all relate to the experience of feeling weak or too sensitive or like there's something wrong with us all of the shame that goes along with struggling with your mental health and that's why so often we're encouraged to talk about it And it's not suggesting that it's easy, but once again, it takes some of that charge away from this festering experience that you may be having and that isolating experience. And it allows you to share that with others and be held by others and be supported and not feel so alone and ashamed of that experience. So... At this point, I feel very exposed to you all. You all now know what I feel ashamed about. But listen, I I have felt the power and the liberation and the freedom and the release that comes with owning these things and no longer allowing them to dictate the direction of my life. And so I will continue to do it again and again, no matter how scary it feels to put that out there and how much I know that I could open myself up to judgment. I accept that. It's part of being able to move through these experiences is accepting that not everyone is going to like it and not everyone is going to understand. We all have our own things that we're working through, but being able to show one another that it's possible to no longer allow these experiences to hold us back and that it's okay to look at these things and that we're here to support each other, I think is really powerful. So With that said, I will leave a couple more resources in case you're looking to explore shadow work a little deeper and go down this path on your own once again. um, I'll also share some therapy resources in case you're looking to do this with a 
therapist, which I think can be really helpful and supportive. But yeah, I think I will leave it at that for today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you took something away from this, that you feel a little bit less alone and something that perhaps you're feeling ashamed about. And once again, you know, as we share these stories with each other and we respond to one another with empathy and understanding in the words of Brene Brown, shame can't survive. So here's to that. I appreciate you all for listening and I will see you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.